We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. What's up, y'all? It's Drewski, and I've teamed up with Mountain Dew to produce a hilarious new basketball podcast called The Dew Zone with Drewski. Learn the backstories of your favorite ballers and celebrities like Jamal Murray. Did you have, like, a favorite team? Was it the Raptors at the time or no? Was the Raptors even started around that time? Come on, bro. I ain't that old, fam. <laughs> You're talking like I'm 50. Taylor Rooks, Asia Wilson, and many more. You won't want to miss this. Listen to The Do Zone with Drewski on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you listen to podcasts. Blue Wire. What is up, Nets fans? Welcome to the Brooklyn Ball. Today, with me, as always, my guy, Jack Manuel. Jack, what's up? Losing the Celtics is never fun, Nick, but positives to take away at the very least. Yeah, pre-Thanksgiving pod right here. Big happy Thanksgiving to ever, all of our listeners. As always, you can find us on iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, OTGBasketball.com, NetsRepublic.com, and BlueWirePods.com. But, Jack, like you mentioned, no, it wasn't a win. The Nets lost 121-110 to Boston in TD Garden without Karis LeVert, without Kyrie Irving, and obviously without Kevin Durant, but also without DeAndre Jordan. But they showed some major fight tonight. Yeah, I thought the fight was great, Nick. You know, I thought, you know, our first quarter, you know, we, we were hanging around. I thought we were doing uh, some nice things in that second quarter. The three ball started hitting. The second unit, led by Garrett Temple, was simply outstanding. And, you know, really loved the energy from David Nwaba and Aman Shumpert. And, you know, things just started really clicking on the offensive end, especially the defensive energy, you know, the switchability that, that Nawaba and Shumper could go on to a, a lot of the wings like Brain, like, like Brown, like Tatum, and then even guys like Kemba really liked their versatility on that end of the floor, and it led to uh, a positive first half, as I chatted about in the mini little per- periscope that I did. But, you know, I, I like I predicted, like you asked me, I predicted that the, the Celtics will come out hard, and they did, you know, 34 to 23 in that third. And I just... I was just waiting. I'm like, can the Nets hang on? Can the Nets hang on? But there were too many mistakes at important, crucial times from players and then even from Kenny in my eyes too. Yeah, I feel like, you know, that first half was great. Even the first quarter losing 23 to 30, I felt like they just missed open threes because they shot 2-11 in that first quarter, I believe. And they just got hot in that second quarter. Obviously, Garrett Temple's not going to shoot that way all the time. But I was impressed. And like you said, you know, you knew Boston was going to come out. They're the more talented team with the Nets' health issues right now. So they came out big in that third. And that's okay. Like, you expect teams to make big runs, have big quarters. The Nets killed them in the second, 40 to 27. But that fourth quarter, they needed to do a better job. And like you kind of hinted at, 
Kenny probably should have got at least Spencer Dinwiddie or Joe Harris in that fourth quarter a little bit sooner because they were hurting, and that's what really killed them is that third quarter and early fourth quarter. It wasn't just the not scoring. It was also the turnovers that led to easy buckets for uh, Boston. Yeah, it was two minutes too late. You know, having the ball yep. in Pinson's hand and Moose's hand at crucial times when you want to stay around the sort of mark and, and not give up buckets on the in transition, you know, it's just... I think it's on Coach Kenny in terms of because uh, Spencer Dimity played 29 minutes, Jared Allen led the way in 30 minutes. I understand it's three games and four nights, and I guarantee you the medical staff and people behind the scenes are like, look, uh, Kenny, you can't play these guys uh, the, the requisite amount of minutes that a lot of the fans would have loved. But at the end of the day, I think you need to throw that out the window, at least to some extent. I guess it's probably easier for, for us on the sideline Lines to sort of go, oh, play Spencer Dimity 33, 34 minutes. Play Jared Allen 32 minutes. Play Joe Harris 29, 30 minutes. You know, Garrett Temple led the way again with 31 minutes. Obviously, he was incredibly hot and you're riding that hot hand a little bit. But for me, I would have rather a couple of extra minutes. And I don't think it necessarily it might increase injury by, you know, a certain amount. But for me, I'm not sure of the science behind it. I'm assuming that unless you're playing five minutes more on regular occasion, which has happened for the Nets a little bit, I don't think it's necessarily going to impede you long-term in terms of your health. I think Spencer Dinwiddie is a durable guy and he's young enough. Jared Allen also. You know, we're not doing this to guys who are 35, 36 years old. Gary Temple is the one who's playing the most minutes and he's 33 years old, the oldest guy on the roster playing regular rotation minutes. Yeah, the only thing I could think of is, you know, what is it, four games and six nights. They do have a lot going on with the schedule and these guys are taking on bigger workloads. You would think maybe the performance team had something to say about it. And I guess at the end of that Cleveland game, they kind of looked a little bit gassed. They came out really fresh in this first half, and then the second half, they kind of lost some of that effort. You know, you'd like to see the guys play more, but maybe they have a plan in place that we don't know about. That's the only thing I could think of. Obviously, you know, you still like to see Joe Harris at minimum play 30 minutes. Yeah, I think him or Prince. You, you need to have your best three-point shooter. And Joe Harris was hitting that three ball again. He was hot. He was hot. And I think he was hot in a really sort of confident way. Five and nine from there. You know, Garrett Temple was certainly hot himself going six to 12, you know, to get 10 threes in that second quarter, you know, obviously led by Garrett Temple and Joe Harris was taking some tough shots and he was willing to take them, you know, and, and for me, the, I think I've said this on previous episodes, I'm liking the confidence that he's showing. I'm liking the confidence that a lot of these guys are getting in the absence of some of our stars. And if they can bring that in to, you know, when Karis Levert is back and, and when Kyrie Irving is back, I think it's only going to be a good thing. But I think that there is, you know, a lot that's going to be on Coach Kenny's shoulders. And I guess it's, it's speaking more, you know, generally going forward. Coach Kenny's going to have to find a way to keep these guys integrated in a positive way when those superstars come back. Yeah, that is really important because we've seen some amazing signs on this team in terms of winning habits and plays they're making out there and some of the passing we're seeing on the perimeter, getting so many open threes. It was a great job just kind of, you know, exploiting Boston's defense in that first half. I felt like Boston did a better job in the second half and trying to limit those three-point attempts, allowed the Nets to get a little bit more inside, and they weren't necessarily getting a favorable whistle tonight, so they weren't able to get to the free throw line a ton, and even when they got there, they weren't able to convert. Yeah, I mean, if you're looking at... Boston Celtics shot 22 of 24, almost 92% from the free throw line. And the Nets got their 19 times and shot 9 of 19. A lot of that on Jared Allen's shoulders, shooting 5 of 12. Um, at the end, that was one of the other little mini tidbits. You know, if the, the Nets had have hit a couple of their free throws, you make this thing competitive and you keep yourself in with the real fighter's chance. But at the end, of the, I think it's on Jared Allen. Nicholas Claxton missed both of his three throws and Spencer then when he hit four or five, he was the only other guy to go there. So combined to go five of 14 between the two big men, 
you know, it's not good enough. And and at that point, I mean, Jared Allen did so many ridiculously good things tonight. But he's, uh, I think this has been uh, made a point on Twitter, and we've made a point of it as well. He's regressed as a free throw shooter. And you don't necessarily need him to shoot 90% or 80%. If he can just get to 70% or even in this game, if he was 8 of 12, I think we would be okay with it. You know, he's going to miss on. He's not amazing. But you can tell it's definitely a mental game because we've mentioned it pretty much all season long. His free throw shot looks fine. It's just more so about it. It's in his head. But other than that, Jared Allen was great. You know, 17 points, monster on the boards again, 14 rebounds, five offensive, and he was a rim protector. The only guy that really gave him issues at the rim was Kemba Walker, and he does that to a lot of bigs. Yeah, I think Kemba's going to do that to everyone. And I think there was times tonight that this defense just showed the amount of potential it can have. You know, Jared Allen and Nicholas Claxton can both switch. Nicholas Claxton, when matched up against, you know, Enos Cantor, showed strength, showed his body. Um, and Jared Allen, you know, I think is growing in stature in terms of, of his physicality and willing to just do it all on, on the defensive end. You know, he got that, that really nice block too. But, you know, he is uh, an incredible rim protector. And, you know, it's a luxury to have. It's going to be interesting to see when DeAndre come back, comes back. You know, I'm assuming that'll probably come against Boston uh, post-Thanksgiving when they're back at Barclays. But, you know, Nicholas Clacton has certainly earned some minutes at, at this point. And, you know, he isn't doing everything. And, you know, he wasn't necessarily amazing tonight. But I like the, the fact that he didn't impact the box score and, and the points. I still like what he did. And, you know, I think Jared Allen, you know, I call him one of the best offensive rebounds in the game right now. Again, it's for me, we've spoken about it, but I'll reiterate it. It's his timing and positioning. You know, when I did the video breakdown for Nets Republic, his positioning, he knows where the shot is going to miss. He's just reading it. He's not necessarily outbodying a lot of guys. You know, one or two times he did it against Cleveland and in the breakdown down, you know, Tristan Thompson one was probably the main one, but he's just timing it and he's knowing where the ball is going to come off. He knows how to read his teammates and he knows how, where to be at the right point in time. Five offensive rebounds out of the 14 that he did now, like you mentioned, you know, he's becoming one of the best guys on that end of the floor. And, you know, I think he has confidence and, you know, it can lead to put back buckets. If he hits those free throws, then he's going to be incredibly dangerous. Yeah, and typically on putbacks is when you get a lot of free throws because the defense is out of position. And I think Jared Allen mentioned in a post-game interview after Cleveland, he mentioned how he's starting to get a better feel for what he's kind of allowed to do or get away with in terms of pushing players to get better position on the court. So he's taking advantage of his experience, and it's turned over to a great offensive rebounder. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Nick, what did you think of Spencer Dinwiddie's game tonight? Despite the fact he went 5-19 of 19 from the field, did have a double-double, 16 points, uh, 11 assists. I thought that, you know, I think a lot of the misses he probably should have got calls on. Um, I thought it was still a, a good game from Spencer. Yeah, I didn't think it was a bad game. I think this was, you know, the first good team the Nets played over this week, and they played good defense. And they made it difficult on Spencer, knowing he was really the only true playmaker and the best player on this Nets team. They gave him a lot of attention, and they disrupted him. He did a great job of finding guys with 11 assists, but like you mentioned, he got a lot of contact. Marcus Smart was riding him the entire game, and Marcus Smart's one of those type of defenders that essentially fouls in every play, but they're not going to call it because he plays so physical the entire game, and that obviously disrupted Dinwiddie a little bit. Yeah, I think if we're looking at it, you know, cumulatively over the entire game, I think the Nets were on the, the wrong end of the stick in terms of some foul calls, but they were also lucky on, on certain occasions as well. So, you know, to try and maintain a sort of balanced sort of outlook, you know, I think there were two or three calls that went Brooklyn's way, but overall, I think, you know, there were probably five or six that could have gone uh, our way. And, you know, it doesn't necessarily change the results of the game, but it makes an impact. And, you know, I think Spencer, you know, he got hit with a T as he coached Kenny, but I didn't hate that. And I know you always I are, are a fan of that. 
you're always a fan of it. It's just like <laughs> if there is if there if Coach Kenny gets a team like the fourth quarter and the Nets are like tied up, are you gonna change your outlook on, on Coach Kenny getting teased? I mean, I was not happy last year, really, when N. Davis got that T, but I still understood it. And I think in the situation tonight, if it's, like, warranted where, like, hey, Dinwiddie was clearly slapped on the hand when there was a foul there and he got teed up and he did, like, his little and one thing that he consistently does every single game after every possible and one, like, I don't think that's enough to get a T. And then on Kenny, I felt like it was a good T because there was a lot of contact. And then maybe it was just a way the game was being officiated where they just allowed a contact throughout this game but it did not benefit the Nets because they only had really one true playmaker and creator in this game. And if they're able to just be so physical with him after the contest, it just took Spencer out of his game a little bit shooting-wise. It did, and they were certainly forcing him outside the lane, forcing him to finish, you know, forcing him left. Forcing him left as Doris Burke. That, as an analyst, again, I, I put this out on Twitter, at the JMNJBT, at OTG Nick to follow him. Every single time I watch basketball and it's commentated by uh, Doris Burke, I learn something new. And I'm just like, wow. I you sort of, you notice it, but until it's vocalized, it's like, oh, wow. So it's like she just sees things and, and, and ways in the game. But, you know, the way that Garrett Temple played tonight as well, Nick, he was the key reason the Nets got back in this. You know, him hitting those threes. Yeah, in that second quarter, I think he hit four threes. You know, he had 12 yeah. points in that second quarter. They scored 40 in that. And, I mean, Garrett Temple has proven that he's a professional He's going to give you good defensive energy, you know, every game. Offensively, we kind of talked about this a few episodes ago. You kind of can feel when he's going to hit his threes and when he's not going to hit his threes. Obviously, tonight was a night he felt very confident because he even took some difficult looks. And I was happy with the game he played. There was a couple probably bad plays in the second half, but everyone's going to have a few bad plays. Yeah, I think overall for me, he was one of, if not the Nets' best player. Uh, probably the guy I'll, I'll look to do a breakdown of. But, you know, I'm really itching. I might have to do a double breakdown because David Nwaba was just so damn good. And you know, I just love what he brings to this Nets team. And luckily and, and thankfully, he played 19 minutes, some good, decent rotation minutes out there. Yeah, it was kind of strange to see him go from zero to 19. And we're not even talking zero in the last game. We're talking zero for like the last month, it's felt like. And for him to get 19 minutes, get minutes in that second quarter, I thought he brought the hustle, the energy, had two steals, knocked down two threes, had that nice driving layup on Marcus Smart. You know, I think Nawaba did enough to possibly earn minutes in the future. I think Kenny might have to look to him, especially when uh, Karras or Kyrie is back. Because when you have another playmaker out there, David Nwaba's life is going to be even easier offensively. Playing with Theo Pinson can be tough. No disrespect to him. Yeah, I, I completely agree with that. I think it's almost David Nwaba fits better when there are better players around him because it allows when you are a, a stud role player, it allows you to you know focus on your role to the end degree. You know, show energy. You know, he steals. He's diving for loose balls. I think I can't remember uh, if I said this on the Periscope, but you know, he's a, a, a poor man's Marcus Smart in a lot of ways. Not necessarily, it doesn't necessarily have the physicality and size of a Marcus Smart, but he does a lot of really, really good things on the floor defensively. And, you know, that, 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 um, that call that you mentioned, Nick, he got hit on the head, like plain yep. and simple on, on that dump. And he yeah. should have got an end one. And, like that was, and that's plain to see, you know, I, I don't, I get it. And it, it's just frustrating because I think for the most part, it's hard for the, for the rest to maintain consistency. Um, but uh, it's something we want. And at the end of the day, you know, it's just those little things that get in your head a little bit. And, you know, I thought, you know, just overall, Nevin Nwaba was awesome. And, you know, 10 points, you know, had had a couple of steals. You know, he just disrupted a lot of things out there. And him and Shumpert, you know, I think that these guys are, are proving that they are going to be part of the rotation going forward. And and maybe guys like Jana Musa and Theo Pinson do get relegated. 
Yeah, I think the thing with uh, Nawaba and Shumpert, you just don't want them on the floor together because they bring similar things, but neither guy is a great three-point shooter. You know, Nawaba was two or three tonight, but that was kind of an outlier. Shump's kind of only out there. All he can do offensively is really shoot jump shots, and he's not a great jump shooter. So that kind of hurts. But if you have them on the floor at different times, I think that provides value. I think Musa had a couple nice plays. There was nice, some nice footwork in that first half where he had a couple floaters. But other than that, you know, he's just still not having a great feel for the NBA and what he can do and what he can't do. Yeah, I think this uh, this season is almost a learning curve for him yep. in, in a lot of respects. And it's a rookie I guess year. It is. It's, it's a rookie year because he played, you know, so much time um, in Long Island. And, you know, he had spurts in, in garbage time, you know, last season for the team. And, you know, he's sort of, I guess, essentially replacing Rodeo's courts in the rotation in a lot of ways, not necessarily getting starting minutes, but, you know, he's the first guy coming off the bench. But he did only play 16 minutes tonight. Normally, he is one of the leaders in minutes off the bench. He was minus 10. Torian Prince was the only guy who was worse than the plus minus of minus 14. So he wasn't impacting the game in a positive way. I think, yeah, he's still fighting his footy. It's going to be interesting to see, you know, with a, with a full body of work come game 82, you know, when he's playing with a guy like Kyrie Irving, is he going to be a part of this team when, you know, we have loftier aspirations? Who knows? But I think, you know, he has some tangible elements that can work in today's NBA. Uh, it's just whether it's a Brooklyn Nets fit. But um, I'm not necessarily going to hate on him to, to the nth degree because, you know, he's still a young kid. You know, Theo Pinson is a more frustrating guy for me because there's just turnovers. And for me, not even the turnovers. That was the most frustrating moment because that happens. You know, you, you you're driven the ball and you know you got good defense from a guy like Marcus Smart. When the most frustrating thing, and I think Spencer has earned the fact that he can do this because he makes them. But Theo Pinson taking an early shot, like a, a three five seconds into the shot clock above the break three, dude, you're not Kyrie Irving, Stephen Curry, Trey Young, or even to a lesser extent Spencer Dinwiddie. Let's get a set out there, and I'm. Uh, if I was Coach Kenny, if that was the Angelo Russell and he missed that, you know, last season, Coach Kenny would have pulled his ass, like, immediately. Yeah, and I think Theo Pinson literally is only getting minutes right now because the Nets have no other option. And I'm not even sure Theo Pinson is going to ever be an NBA point guard. His handles just do not look that competent. He just doesn't necessarily look amazing running the show. He seems better as maybe a secondary creator. You know, a guy like Wanamaker out there who wasn't really truly a backup point guard because they had other creators out there. I think it's just a really tough role for Theo Pinson. He's, you know, not being able to step up in this role. And I thought in the first half he was okay. He had most of his assists in the first half. In that second half he tried to force it. And it really sticks out when you're facing a good defensive team like Boston who can put a guy like Marcus Smart on you, a guy like Jalen Brown. Even Wanamaker off the bench I thought was a yeah. solid defender. And they just disrupt you. And you could feel it kind of impact Theo Pinson offensively and him being the lead guard out there and impacted the entire Nets offense. And that kind of just destroyed what happened in the third and early fourth quarter. Yeah, those guys pulled him up full court on a few occasions. And you could see yep. Theo calling for the big guy for a screen. You know, he's those guys are getting in their heads. And those guys are, are like you, all the names that you listed, Nick, you know, are good to very, very good to great defenders. And, you know, you're going to be disrupted, you know, just via their presence, let alone when you're trying to get it into the half-court set. There were some times where, like, he only just made it, you know, for the eight seconds uh, offensive call. So, yeah. Dear Pinson, we're going to be frustrated with, but, you know, hopefully, you know, Kyrie's back sooner rather than later, and I'm sure we'll chat about him, you know, towards the end of the episode, but, you know, Nicholas, what were your thoughts on his game, Nick? I gave my thoughts a little bit on him a little bit earlier. He looks, like, in terms of guys we're sort of comparing him to, you know, Musa, Pinson, Nicholas Claxton looks like an NBA player, despite the fact that he he's not getting these lofty stats yet. 
Yeah, I didn't know if you were saying my name or asking me about the players. Uh, <laughs> no, I mean, I thought Claxton had good moments in this game, but this was an example of him not being able to play, though, in some backup, you know, center role. Like, Ennis Cantor just muscled him. And, you know, Claxton made an effort to box him out, but Cantor's just so big that he could not move him, and he had five offensive rebounds. And a lot of that was on Claxton. It's not his fault. He physically really can't do anything about it. But I did like the way he competed against him in the post, had a couple nice rejections out there. I think offensively, the Nets maybe need him to be a little bit more aggressive in terms of taking shots. Maybe Kenny's telling him not to take shots. But Probably. with the the lack of offensive weapons they have out there, I wouldn't mind Claxton you know, pulling up once in a while or even taking Cantor off the dribble, which we saw him do on one possession, and he got to the rim and got to the free throw line. He just missed his shots. Yeah, I, I certainly would like it too, especially when you have a lineup that doesn't have you know incredibly – capable playmakers and playmakers for other guys and playmakers for themselves. You know, I think Nicholas Clarkson has proved that in college. You know, he proved that, you know, in very, very small spurts tonight. He can do some things, you know. I, I would be comfortable with him creating his own shot. You know, he's got a nice little spin move and, you know, he's got some stuff in the post. He's he's crafty. He can work a little bit with both hands. Um, and, you know, I think that we've spoken in, in comparison to a guy like Jared Allen. At this stage of his career, you know, Nicholas Claxton is doing some really, really good things. And to have two... Very young centers playing good NBA basketball to very good NBA basketball to, you know, okay NBA basketball, depending on the night, you know, is, is a luxury in many ways because, you know, I think Nicholas Claxton, we've seen him playing some, some four before, you know, it's going to be interesting to see how he fits in the rotation going forward, but he can switch. And in the modern NBA, you need to be able to switch to play, you know, high quality playoff basketball. Jared Allen can do the same. So I think in, in that sense, uh, I think he's going to be valuable to this team. Yeah, he definitely, you know, shows the flashes. I think a lot of for him right now is just a mental game, you know, kind of learning more of the offensive sets, defensively what he's supposed to do, because sometimes you just see him being a step slow out there. Obviously, that's expected as a rookie, a young guy coming to this team full of vets. And like I mentioned, just a little bit more aggressive offensively. But there is a lot of potential for him there. And I think moving forward, we'll probably see him get back pushed to the four. I don't know if he's going to be able to get minutes with some of the other guys stepping up, like we mentioned, because I think DeAndre is going to be in that backup role. Well, of course he is. You know, we're not paying him four years, $40 million to be a 15th, 12th, 13th, 14th, 15th man. Nick, I, I guess think we DeAndre would actually help tonight, though, too. Like, I think uh, Claxton was good on some of those switches, but those offensive rebounds by Cantor and just the offensive rebounds in general just, like, destroyed some of those possessions because they played some really good defensive possessions yeah. and then just kind of had their heart ripped out, and then Boston would end up hitting another three, and, you know, it's tough enough to defend them with all the talent they have on the perimeter. I think DeAndre could have helped if he was locked in tonight. Like we've seen before, some nights he doesn't even matter on the boards, but other nights he's dominant. Yeah, I don't disagree with that at all. You know, I think he's the perfect matcher for an, for an Enos Cantor. Literally the, the the battle of, you know, two solid offensive rebounders, old school centers that can sort of do some things, get on some boards, do some okay things in the post. You know, they, they've got different skill sets, but they're prototypically, you know, kind of similar. Uh, but Nick, I think it's, it's best we... We chat about Kyrie Irving. Does Kyrie Irving suck? Apparently, according to Boston fans, he does. But, you know, I don't think Kyrie Irving heard because he was busy getting... Um, uh, Sean Marks, I think, spoke to someone and he was being assessed. And he said that he's made improvement, which is at least positive. Yeah, I mean, that, that was just weird. Like, Kyrie's not even in the building and you're cheering Kyrie sucks. It's just a little bit extra. Whatever. I feel like it did distract the Nets players a couple times because they were like, yo, what is going on right now? Irving is not even with us. Obviously, and people were upset he didn't travel to Boston and go with the team. A lot of times, injured players don't travel with the team, especially if they're getting treatment. 
And that's obviously what Kyrie's doing, trying to get back on the court. I feel like this whole situation was completely overblown for essentially nothing because it's not like Kyrie Irving played in Boston for 10 years. We're talking about no. two seasons and he was injured, you know, for a majority of one of them. Yeah, exactly. And the take that I said that I was going to bring to you pre-game, I'm, I'm going to bring it out now. For me, the reason why Boston fans are so salty is because they're not used to this. They're used to having winning, loyal basketball players and loyal sportsmen in every sense of the imagination. And when they get spurred, it's not something that they're used to dealing with. So for them, they're going to lash out. They're going to post stupid-looking coward posters, which are just absolutely ridiculous, uh, to say the least. Kyrie Irving is one of the only players. You, know, you, you look at Paul Pierce and Kevin Garnett and whatever Boston Red Sox players that have stuck around are. I have no idea about baseball and whatever, <laughs> whatever you know, other sports teams and the Patriots, whatever they got, you know, uh, Tom Brady and, and the loyalty there. Whereas Kyrie is a guy that was never a Boston fit and was never going to be a Boston fit. We've said this on preseason pods, but we have to revisit it because it's a lingering narrative. And I've said this on, on a podcast with Justin and Cam as well, two Boston fans that I do actually like, in the sense that Kyrie didn't choose to be in Boston. He was traded there. And yes, he made commercials. Yes, he said certain things. But who doesn't have the right to change their mind? I think every person, you know, when you go through certain things and we've spoken about and as well, and I spoke about on that pod too, Kyrie, the, the passing of his grandfather, messed with him mentally, which obviously affects you physically as well. He wanted to be with his family. He wanted to be home, as he called it. Brooklyn is home to him for right now. You know who... Who knows? I wouldn't besmirch him if, you know, at the end of his contract, you know, he doesn't decide to retire with the Brooklyn Nets because that is a player's right. And if you're entering free agency, that is the machinations, the machinations of how this league works. And at the end of the day, it's kind of cool because the the real fans, the, the real Boston Celtics fans that can't acknowledge and, and see both sides of it, you know, I'm just going to ignore and mute anyway because, and there are some actual credible people like Jared Weiss of The Athletic and, that are posting certain things like, well, Kemba Walker's out there after almost getting knocked out and Kyrie's not even going there. After no, his shoulder. exact words were he almost snapped his neck. Like, first off, he did not almost snap his neck. His head rammed into semi Ojale. Like, it's not like his head got broken over somebody's knee. And I'm not trying to discredit the injury that Kemba had because that was super serious. But let's yeah. not exaggerate to say like, oh, well, Kemba almost snapped his neck and Kyrie's out here because of a rest injury. First off, Jared Wise, like Kyrie <laughs> had, has a shoulder injury. He missed games. He's getting treatment. Why would the Nets want to rest their play best player or let him rest because he didn't want to face Boston? He could have just sat out these two games. There's no reason for him to set out all these games just because he didn't want to deal with TD Garden. Like, it's really not that serious. We're talking about a guy who hit maybe the biggest shot of my generation in terms of game seven against the Warriors. Like, chill, Boston fans, you're not that serious. Yeah, and I think that in that sort of sense, because they have so much history of success with all of their sports teams, when something falls against that narrative and goes against that grain, you know, you see the true nature of some of these fans. I'm not yep. saying that's all of them, but I'm saying it is some of them. And even, again, some accredited people, which, which really upsets me because there are really passionate really good writers out there that can acknowledge and you know guys like cam guys like justin guys with otg basketball that are really capable writers that provide balance they're also fans and you know you can have a, a passionate discourse with them but they can acknowledge both sides it's uh, it's it's frustrating and it's a podcast we could do for hours and hours on end but 
the I do have one more thing point is, I want to get in. Do it. I, okay, so I think the funny thing too is like, well, the Boston fans weren't upset when they traded IT after he just played a game after yeah. his sister passed away, and he said he yeah. wanted to stay in Boston, and obviously he left everything on the court, played with a hip injury, which essentially ruined his NBA career because he's never going to be the same player again. But that's okay. But Kyrie wanted to change, you know, teams after two years, getting traded to a team he didn't want to be on in the first place. You're upset. Like, come on. I'm not going to lie. I'm a person. If I don't like something, I'm going to quit. Like, I've worked jobs and I worked them for two weeks that don't like them. Put in my two weeks. See you later. Like, that's just how it works. If you don't like something, you don't like it. You don't have to stay there. You only live once. Like, I'm not going to stay in Boston if I don't have a feel for them. Yeah, uh, yeah, I think you can't. In that sort of sense, you can't have it both ways. That is definitely a soundbite. You know, make sure you get the type, get the type signature on that one, Nick. I'm normally the one doing rants. I like to, I like to hear you uh, doing the same sort of thing. But do you? I guess we'll sort of end this one. Do you think we see Kyrie suit up uh, against the Boston Celtics when they head back to Barclays? I do not. I think we'll see him Friday. It never really made sense, especially with a 12 o'clock start. If you know if it was a regular start at maybe 7:30 or 8 o'clock or whatever, but going noon after Thanksgiving, like it just doesn't seem likely. And the Nets have no need to do that. I think they'd rather see him maybe Sunday against the Heat. Yep, I mean, hopefully it's sooner rather than later because there were plenty of possessions we could have used him tonight. And, you know, despite the fact that it's it's almost like a narrative that no one actually believes, but it just comes out because it's just because Kyrie Irving happens to be out. And yes, you know, there's teams that experience success without Sam's Kyrie Irving, but, you know, the, he's such a damn good player, one of the 10, 15 best players in the league. He would make this book on this team. Yes, he changes the identity in a lot of ways. We could do a Kyrie Irving podcast for two, three hours on end just about him personally. But um, I guess I'll get you to wrap it up because you're so much better at it, Nick. Yeah, and I just one final thought is just think about the difference in play from Theo Pinson and Kyrie Irving because right mm-hmm. now that's what's killing the Nets. And they were yep. still able to scrap out wins against lesser teams, but against the big, good teams like Boston and you know the Raptors and the Sixers and the Bucks in the Eastern Conference, they need Kyrie and they need Karis LeVert. And right now they're getting by, just scraping along. But thanks to everybody for listening in. Happy Thanksgiving. And you can find us on iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, otgbasketball.com, netsrepublic.com, and bluewirepods.com. Sugar Ray Leonard, Roberto Duran, Marvelous Marvin Hagler and Thomas Hearns. Legends, whose four-way rivalry defined one of the greatest eras in boxing history. Relive their decade of dominance in the new Showtime sports documentary, The Kings, a four-part series premiering Sunday, June 6th, only on Showtime. Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring this podcast. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System, you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. At hundreds of locations across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE system technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unifydhealing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system.